Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 140, another milestone. There are just, uh, there's just this and one more episode in season six. Um, and then I also have one more Hallowed Wide Diary that I think I'll release this month as well. And then it's going to be a break. We always take December off. And I have season seven almost completely recorded. I have another interview today. And then I think two more this month. And then I'm done. I'll have 15 episodes locked and loaded for season seven for y'all. And I'm excited about it. And as I mentioned before, I've been thinking about lots of new projects and, um, you know, I like using this podcast as kind of a, a channel to think about new things. So there might be some special, like, you know, non-interview episodes um, in season seven and kind of upcoming as well. I wanted to release this episode um, the last week for kind of like the Halloween week um, because Andrew Corvus Casier is a, like a goth um, leather worker, which I just thought would be like thematic and cool. But lucky for us, um, you know, Miss Katnix two episodes ago is a witch, a green witch. And also Stephen Hatch from last week makes candy. So, you know, we're all in the fall theme. Um, but I, I wanted to give, um, Corvus a little longer to send me a bio because he has had the busiest month of like his life October, so many orders and lots of things to do and cool stuff that he's working on. So I'm pleased to bring you this episode today. Um, I just want to say, and you know, the, the last episode in this season, um, is part of this too, but I'm, I'm really, really so proud of the diversity in this season, both with like the backgrounds of the guests and also just the types of mediums. I think I've been just open and pretty clear about this, um, you know, over the past little while here, but I'm really, really interested in like the fringes of medium and the edges of, you know, what we consider like art versus craft. And, you know, if I'm being honest lately, I just feel like everything is art and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And it's been a real joy to interview some artists, um, who are, you know, doing really cool things, like very far outside of any kind of, um, like institutions or anything like that. And, um, I certainly feel that way about, about Corvus and everything he's working on. And just, I don't know, I'm just, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by it. Um, thinking about the, the ways in which, um, there's sort of performance art involved in what Corvus is doing, lots of community building. And of course, like just, beautiful craftsmanship and um creativity in the execution of the work the vision of the work the design um there's just art you know all over it and um I don't know I think it's awesome so thanks Corvus for coming on the podcast okay I'm gonna read you um Corvus's bio now uh it's written in the first person so as I translate it to the third person if there are clunky spots be patient with me. Um, but I want you, I want you guys to kind of hear all of this. Okay, here I go. 
Corvus was born in Boise as Andrew Corvus later, the youngest of four kids, um, raised there until he was 11 when his family moved to Kaysville, Utah. He has two older brothers and one sister who passed away in 2020. As a young child, they were not allowed to watch much television, but their parents gave them plenty of books. Corvus's brother Ryan and uh, Corvus challenged each other. Although they fought endlessly, they loved making things with their hands from a very early age. When Corvus was eight and his brother was 10, they took apart their mother's vacuum cleaner and turned it into a hovercraft on the back patio. Insatiably curious, no lock was a barrier to these boys. They would crack their father's safe from 10 years old. They both tested off the charts yet flunked out of school. Unfortunately, schools are not set up to teach gifted kids. Incredibly ADHD and prone to mischief, Andrew Corvus was a pain in the ass to his parents, but he learned from them that you can make anything if you're determined. When he was 15, his grandmother gave him a deer hide um, that was shot by her father when he was 80 years old. This was the first piece of leather Andrew Corvus worked with, and it became a lifelong obsession. Around the same time, he found the goth scene and the beautiful people in black leather spoke to his soul career-wise he joined the service after high school and spent a couple of years as an airborne infantry and combat engineer after he got out he couldn't decide what to do but eventually went to culinary arts school and catered movie sets for a few years followed by running restaurants we didn't talk about any of that in the podcast 14 years ago corvus switched to electrical and has done that ever since however in his heart his greatest dream has always been to create with leather at the beginning of 2021 he decided to make a real go at his leather work and has been pushing forward with it ever since um and you'll hear uh, Corvus talk more about where you can find his work now and kind of what he's doing um, with with community and some of these other things that I mentioned earlier in the intro. As always, thanks for being here with me and with us. Um, you know, I say it all the time. It's just like a simple, it's just a simple podcast that I do in my little basement in, you know, the suburbs of Utah. But I really feel like these conversations are like, they're kind of special to me and I hope you feel that way too and are able to see kind of like I don't know what's radical about just having these kinds of conversations and um certainly it's not not unique to to me or to the artists here but um but I think more so just like there is there are incredible people doing incredible things anywhere you go and I don't know I'm just I'm honored I'm honored to be part of it and um, I hope that you guys are enjoying it too and I am um, like I said I'm, I'm getting ready for season seven and I'm just about to start planning season eight so okay uh, without further ado please enjoy this conversation with leather worker Andrew Corvus Cassier here comes great art almost feels like magic it opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. You're a little cutie. Yeah, he seriously only comes down here like maybe one in every 15 interviews. So it's oh. it's always a little bit of a surprise to me who he makes the trek for, who he's curious about. <laughs> it must be the smell of all the 
leather. Yeah. Just smells or like something just, to chew. Or he just likes your vibe. Um, he's not a super chewy boy. So, well, there he is. Okay, do you have any questions before we start? I think I'm all good. Okay, great. I might get up a few times, but you can just keep talking. I'll let you know if like anything weird is going on. But I like to just um, make sure like I don't let it fall asleep. You know, so I just want to be able to keep my eyes on those red bars. Um, okay, so I like to start with everyone by talking about like your kind of earliest creative development in your childhood. So it doesn't have to do anything with what you're um, doing now, but was there any early evidence? And if so, what was the early evidence that you were bound to be creative? <laughs> uh, I'm the youngest of little. four kids. And okay. my brother, who's a couple of years older than me, uh, he and I had always just challenged each other. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, as a young kid, well, our parents didn't give us, let us watch television. Yeah. So instead they got us a How It Works encyclopedia set by Popular Mechanics. Oh, cool. And they regretted it ever since. <laughs> you guys became best friends and were making stuff all oh, the time? Oh, no, we were worst Not enemies. Friends, we tried oh. to kill each other over and over <laughs> until we were teens and finally settled. Now we're best friends. That's great. So what were you, what did, what were you making? What were you kind of tinkering with? Oh, well, the, uh... I think I was eight and my, my brother was 10 when we took apart our mother's vacuum cleaner and turned it into a hovercraft on oh, the back I patio. I see, I see. <laughs> she would regret that. Uh, about the same so, age when we first learned how to crack our dad's safe. Oh my gosh. So me- mostly like mechanical stuff. And then <clears throat> um, I'd, I'd love to know like, so where'd you grow up? Uh, Boise until I was 11 and then moved down to to Kaysville. Okay, cool. Um, in terms of like the family dynamic, are there creatives in the family? What was like the family kind of ethos toward the arts or like creativity more broadly? Oh, uh, well, like my mother is a, was a choir director, voice instructor, okay. and piano teacher. Oh, wow. So there's music in the home. I have zero talent, much yeah. appreciation, but zero talent. That yeah. just skipped right past me. I hear this story a lot. Uh, well, I greatly wish I could play the piano because it's one of my favorite instruments to yeah. listen to. Yeah. But, well, it's never too late to learn. Uh, <laughs> mingled a finger in a drill press accident a few years oh ago. Gosh. I got no feeling in that middle oh, left no. finger. Well, I guess you'd have to play like specific pieces that only use like the mm, pinky and the thumb in the left hand. I could train, but the dexterity is just gone yeah, in that yeah. hand. Well, sometimes like, well, actually one of my kind of favorite like topics, you know, when I'm talking about creativity is the, the ways in which like, um, taking in, um, media is a creative endeavor as well. Um, were there any like, uh, you know, TV shows, movies, books, music that you, um, were like, were influenced by as a kid? Like what was your kind of you know, inner, inner mm. life like. Well, I've always been a huge book fan. Yeah. Um, earliest memories are of my mother teaching me to read on her knee, and I think I was about two when I first learned how to read the book Black Beauty. Oh, well, that's one of my earliest books too. Love Still have it book. on my bookshelf mm-hmm. upstairs. Still. Can you can you think of what it like did for you? Oh, just the stories that came into my head and yeah. imagining as I listened and read the words loud and realized I could make the words, the story happen in my head. It was amazing. Yeah. But, uh, older brother, two older brothers and an older sister. And every Christmas under the tree looked like a bunch of books wrapped in wrapping paper. Cause that's what it was. Yeah. 
We just hoped that we weren't giving the other sibling the book that they were giving us. So the whole family liked to read. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, What was it like? Like, again, like I, I just I'm really curious about the kind of like early development and the kind of context for creativity with a family that's reading so much. Was there also like discussion about, you know, different perspectives? Like, no, we didn't. Uh, as far as that goes, the creativity and stuff, it was mostly, I mean, we listened to our mother do the piano lessons and yeah. voice lessons our whole childhoods, but it was, a uh, the challenge for my older siblings that pushed me for, to learn. I remember when they were doing times tables, I was watching and going, oh, well, I got to memorize this too. Yeah. You were like ambitious in that way, like wanted to kind of keep up with mm-hmm. your siblings. And very competitive with my brother. Yeah. We always had the one-upsmanship one game and it was whatever he did, I wanted to do too or wanted to do better or yeah. I just wanted to annoy him. Yeah. I mean, that sounds very like little brother of you. <clears throat> What about visual arts? So that's what you do now. Um, you know, maybe not even so much in terms of like medium, unless there is something, but like, do you have memories of like being, um, interested in like any visual media or like, were you ever kind of drawing or just like seeing the world in maybe a way that felt like a little unique? You know, I've never been able to draw. Yeah. I mess up a stick figure. It's horrible. Yeah, do, but go ahead. Do you do you feel like? Um, sorry, I can't tell if you're oh. like in the middle of a thought or at the end of one. But I'm I'm wondering if you feel like because you do design now, right? Like you're mm-hmm. designing a lot of pieces. Like, do you feel like you can trace that kind of impetus like back to anything in your childhood, or like, or mostly the mechanical stuff? Oh, every part of it. Uh, anytime my brother and I were out and about, we would be building something, making something with our hands. We'd get into our father's shop in the garage and we would go through the tools and we would try to make stuff. Yeah. And did that feel like, did that feel the same as design? Oh yeah. I know for me, everything I design now, I design with my hands. I look at something, think about it and I just grab tools and start making it happen. Yeah. So like I'm interested in design and I think I'm like in many ways, like, I mean, I'm a musician, but I think in many ways I'm like a, a very visually creative person as well, but I am not mechanically minded like whatsoever. So I'm, I'm interested in like the way that you, it sounds like experience, like a mechanical creativity and like a design and like aesthetic creativity as like a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about it? Uh, my mind just sees things like that. And mechanically, I, I'm very mathematically and mechanically inclined. When I look at something, I can see how it works. Cool. Cool. Were, and, you, were you interested in like clothing as a child or is that something that came oh, later? No, as a child, I was oblivious to clothes. Okay. I'll never forget when a friend asked me why I wasn't wearing the cool sneakers, probably mid eighties. And I'm like, what? There's cool sneakers? What in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, did you feel like, I'm wondering, so I'm interested in like childhood identity and like kind of artistic identity and, you know, finding these through lines. Did you, did you like identify as a creative child or did you feel like divergent in any way? Oh, I've always been neurodivergent to an extreme degree. Please tell me what that was like for you as a child. Um, Well, as a child, I was, I would say I was on the extremely sensitive empathic scale, far end to where it was confusion, confusing to me most of the time because I felt others' emotions as keenly as I felt my own and no method to discern where these emotions were coming from. Right, right. 
and a brother who is uh, he's on the Asperger's scale, and we just always challenged each other. But I things that make sense to people, like uh, routines through the day, right. never did to me. Sure, like some of those executive function kinds of things. Mm-hmm. With this like empathy question, um, I think about this kind of stuff a lot. I posted about it on Facebook today. I saw. I've been <laughs> I know, just you, going, huh? You liked it, yeah, yeah. I'd love, to, I'd love to talk about these kinds of things because for me, a lot of, a lot of these like emotional, interpersonal, like social communication skills light up a really similar part of my brain to like music making or art making. Do you like feel any of that like a crossover there? Oh yeah. Did you have like, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, creation has always been my form of expression and my form of artwork. Yeah. Please tell me more. Like how did, how did that begin when you were a child? Like how was, you know, that expression like maybe more emotional or like what, what kind of tools were you developing? How were you like, how were you, what was your mind like? I was a kid who could read the book, memorize half of it, recite it to the teacher. Yeah. Did but, you feel proud of that? Oh, I just thought it was normal. Okay, yeah. You yeah. know, we, I don't remember when in elementary school they started doing the testing. I remember my brother was first. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's going to these different classes. You mean testing for like neurodivergence? Uh, just or, ADHD, uh, okay. where somebody was at on the uh, IQ spectrum. Okay, okay. And in the, in the 1980s up in Boise, Idaho, it was uh, when they found somebody that was extraordinarily gifted or intelligent... The next thing they did was put them in a resource. Right, right. Uh, they didn't have a advanced classes, sure. so they put them with everybody who's behind. Right. It's so it's so interesting. I I I never I was always like a really um like as much as I as I feel sometimes like confused by people and like sometimes I feel like a little different. I've always been really inclined to like like public school like worked really well for me. <laughs> like I'm good at memorizing and like I'm really good at following instructions as long as I feel like there's a purpose and it makes sense. I kind of have an authority <laughs> problem. But uh but I always felt school was always pretty easy for me, but um I I definitely felt um you know above and like ahead in some ways and really behind in like other ways, you know, like is, it sounds like you maybe felt similarly, like, Oh, absolutely. My, uh, mm, what you just said there of, uh, uh, you know, you were, uh, uh, very good in school because you could memorize things. I was very bad in school because I memorized things. Really? You weren't like learning the process. No, I didn't need to learn the process. They had math. I flunked for years in a row because they wanted me to write out the problems. But my mind doesn't work that way. Right. I'd look at the problem. I'd write down the answer. That's what I'm saying. Like you weren't, you weren't going through the process because you had the answers like kind of memorized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, it just my brain would leap to the, you know, do all the processing there. Like instantly when I look at the problem, I'd write it down. And my teachers would, well, you didn't show the work. Or yeah. you didn't turn in your homework. Well, why do I need to turn in the homework? I aced the test. Yeah, yeah. And so when you had like when you had these kinds of struggles like in school or like with more kind of like emotional social things, um, did you feel like there's something wrong with me, or did you feel like no, I think I'm fine, and there's something wrong with you guys or or something else? 
Oh, it wasn't until other people told me there was something wrong with me that I ever felt that there was anything yeah. different. Yeah, I think I'm just wondering, like, um, um, how you started to self-reference those things. Maybe like when you when you did kind of like feel like you were being told there was like something different. Oh, it was uh, definitely elementary school that all my friends would started to point out. Hey, you're a little different. But... Yeah. And h- how did you f- how did you handle it? Oh, I had no idea what to do. I couldn't understand how I was different. Yeah. It was because my manner of speech, yeah. my way I held myself, I way I just talked in conversation like an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't fit in with kids. I really relate to that. <laughs> yeah. I still feel like, I was just talking about this with a friend a couple of days ago. Um, we were talking about, you know, like the the social dynamics that feel comfortable versus uncomfortable. And um, I, she was telling me that when she's talking to people that are like authority figures, she sometimes feels like a little bit... Um, like bumbly, like can't, can't get her words out. And I feel like I'm like very calm around. Like, I, I don't think I really have like a, a respect for authority a lot of the time. And as a result, I feel kind of like a uh, easy in that, in that kind of a situation, which I think is another reason why school was good for me. Cause I just felt like the teacher is like my peer, you know, or something. I don't know. Well, so I'll tell you like, um, you know, part of the reasons I'm asking like these kinds of questions is I, I, I know a bit about what you do now. I'm excited to learn a lot more, but I'm, I'm, I feel like it helps me. Like, this is just kind of my process. Like it helps me ask better, more insightful questions about like the work you're doing now. If I feel like I can kind of like understand like who this person is. So, you know, if you're thinking about like how you got into the work that you're doing now, which is like, I think probably generally a bit misunderstood or taboo maybe I'm wondering like I'm wondering if any of that is related like are there things you know in your childhood that like you know I think I'm wondering if like what trauma occurs that makes somebody kinky in life no, I'm not even thinking that I'm really not even that right there is its entire own like that could be a four-part interview really? easily. Wait, in which direction? Like, is debunking that idea? Or? No. Oh, okay. The validity yeah. of it. Well, the validity of trauma causing something in our brains to break. Yeah. And us to identify pain and pleasure together. Okay, okay, And yeah. how many of us are neurodivergent in the kink community? Yeah, please tell me. I don't Most know. Most of us are undiscovering. Really? I go through. Interesting. It makes a little bit of sense, though, when you understand that someone with a neurodivergency typically has a larger amygdala. Okay. Amygdalas, remind me. Controls the... Uh, like emotion uh, stuff? Well, uh, the sensory, I believe. It's... Okay. We feel things more intense. Now, pain and pleasure are the same nerves firing. It's just a matter of how your brain interprets right. them. I have heard that. So when somebody makes the flip and can go, oh... Pain is something wrong with my body, but I'm letting this happen. There's nothing wrong. So now I'm just misreading the nerve impulses. Sure. So where, did you feel like, I mean, you don't have to talk about any oh, trauma. Oh, I'm happy to, dear. I, Okay. <laughs> I uh, mean, please, like, I just, I mean, let me just say like my, um, bef- before you start, like my, um, my, like where I'm coming at here is like, I'm just, I'm interested in creativity. I'm interested in the myriad ways that are like incredible species, like, 
participates in creativity. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in different perspectives. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm coming at all of it with just like curiosity and like very open heart and mind. So, you know, however you want to kind of like share, um, how your creativity came to be, like, I'm, 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 I'm here for it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, well, I, like I said, having uh, siblings that were very creative ahead of me. My mother's yeah. very creative. Our father, not so much. Yeah. He has a real hard time. He can build anything, though. He's mechanically inclined. Cool. cool. But when he looks, and my mother said, I want a koi pond here, he built it into a rectangle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We tore that one out, like and that. we went back, and later on, my mother and I, we created this beautiful koi pond and fountain. Wow. Waterfall. That's and, interesting that your dad's mechanical and not artistic. Mm-hmm. And then for you, the mechanics and the artistry are like combined. Yeah. Sorry, please continue. Oh no. It's uh I've always thought that it was wonderful that I have some somehow a combination of the Both two. Of them. Yeah, that's I beautiful. mean my dad's dad in the Great Depression, he needed a uh, tractor. Yeah. Couldn't afford a tractor. Nobody give him a loan. So he went and grabbed old truck parts. Yeah. Built himself a tractor. Resourceful, creative. And then he traded that tractor in for a new tractor a couple of years later. Cool. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I hear stories like that and I go, ah, oh, that's where it comes from. Yeah. I love that. It's so interesting. Yeah, I think those I think these kind of like generational, like I mean, it's also like human development, which is another reason why I like to start with the childhood, because like it makes the adult make so much more sense, I find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so please continue. I think you were going to maybe talk about trauma. Oh, yeah. Um, well, in the kink community, there's a long-standing thought that m- most of us have a trauma that we can trace back when our brain made that flip. Okay. Something that happened that was bad enough that most of us, I would say, have PTSD or CPTSD. Yeah. Things I that... have CPTSD as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was the... Uh, the anomaly. Yeah. I thought when I got into the community many years, about 20 years ago, I thought I was very much so one of those anomalies who for no reason whatsoever just was kinky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my siblings are kinky. Well, I mean, really? We, oh yeah. We discovered, you know, yeah. Every one of us is what people would call sexually deviant. Okay. Yeah. You know, every one of us, uh, uh, into everything from uh, choking and whatever else. We try not to share this with each other, but it's, you know, a little hard. I was going to say, like, when did you discover that that was like? Well, I discovered my sister when she hired me 20 years ago to make a set of uh, collars for her and her partner that choked when you pulled on them. Cool. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Oh, by the way, you're into this as well? Interesting. Yeah, mm. this is an o- your oldest sister? Yeah, well, my only sister. She And uh, is she the oldest? Uh she, no, I have one older brother who's... Brother, sister, brother, uh, Andrew. We were born 72, 4, 6, and 8. Okay, okay. So brother, sister, brother, and myself. Now yeah. it's just my brother, Ryan, and I. Okay. Our sister took her life two years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's, uh, I'm so sorry. Me too, but... Yeah. That goes all back to trauma. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you're, and did you want to say something about your brother? Oh, uh, my oldest brother left the family many years ago. Nobody's seen him for years. He's in Idaho, yeah. I believe. He sent flowers to our sister's funeral. Wow. I'm sorry. Well, it's family his is really way hard. to cope with trauma. Yeah. I'm estranged from my family as well. Um, my, my mother's passed away, but I'm, I'm estranged from my dad mm-hmm. and most of my extended family too. So um, 
so at what at what age did you kind of start identifying like as di- di- divergent in that way? Oh, uh, I'd say when I I think I lost my virginity at like fourteen, maybe okay. fifteen, and I was in, always. Uh, I was 15. I was introduced to the goth industrial scene, went to my first concert, which was Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, and Jim Rose Circus. Wow. Yeah. 1994 at the Delta Center when yeah. Manson wasn't allowed to play. Oh, my gosh. And then I discovered the Confetti's. It was a club in yeah. South Salt Lake, a little goth club through the 90s. And I started spending all my time down there on weekends. And, well, I knew the moment I walked in that I had a love for black leather. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, like, because now, like, the the kinkiness and the artistry are combined. Mm-hmm. But, like, was it always like that? Or? Oh, yes. Okay, In the mid-90s, you couldn't buy club clothes. They didn't well, exist. Well, I just mean for you, but that's what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. went into the scene, and I'm going looking around, going, everybody in black leather and these cool outfits. What? Yeah. Where do cool. you buy this stuff? There was no eBay, Amazon right. that you could get on and buy. So we would all go and buy and make, buy things and repurpose them and make our own club wear. Okay. If you wanted a fishnet shirt, you went down to Walmart or wherever and you got a fishnet tights. And all the friends in that group were doing that. Oh, yeah. Everybody did in the community. Did There's so many artists feel- in oh, the goth industrial yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. So many designers. Cool. Did you feel... Um, like, did you kind of identify as like artistic before you were like introduced to that scene? I don't think I really did. It was really like right together. That's uh, so my, interesting. About the same time, my grandmother handed me a, a deer hide. Okay. And, it and was, that you were again in like your kind of early teens? I was, uh, I think, 16 about that time. Wow. And she hands me this deer hide and it was a deer that had been shot by my great grandmother when she was 80 years old. Oh. Gosh. And the hide was tanned, and yeah. uh, she said, "Here, you could do something with this." And so, all I could think of was, "Well, it's not black leather, but I can do something with this." And I, yeah, I ended up making a couple of books, a little pouch for my runes, and cool. Well, when did you ha- start having runes? Because that feels like a runes? slightly different like medium oh, too. Well, the or, runes I, I got into uh, around the same time I started studying the occult, and which was when. Uh, about six to 15, 16 around there. Okay. But I'd always been into runes and such with Tolkien. Oh, books. Return yeah. of the King. I mean, you talked about books. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm really interested. Like one of the things that I, that I'm really curious about as a podcast host and also as a person is like the, the blurry lines around medium. I think like our culture, I say this on the podcast all the time, but our, I think our culture gets a little obsessed with like products, but I, I'm like a believer that medium is like much more intangible a lot of the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out like what to ask as you're telling me more, like the questions are forming, but I think I'm curious, like whether you feel like, you know, like, like certainly leather working is a medium, maybe design is a kind of a separate medium. Oh yes. I, do you feel, Let me go back. Yeah, please. Before leatherworking was woodworking. Okay. Tell me um, everything. When I was a kid, my grandfather, I remember I was probably seven or eight when went with my folks and we went to one of his, my grandfather's rental properties and he cut down a giant black walnut tree. Yeah. And I remember helping pull the leaves off the branches, everything. He had it all planked up and dried and put into a wood shop. And then I grew up learning how to lathe that walnut and make little boxes and whatever wow. else. 
A little baby, seven, eight, mm-hmm. like a little guy. I'm surprised you didn't talk about this before because that is like. Well, that's also important. part of the trauma. Okay. So my grandfather was a pedophile. Oh, I'm so sorry. He molested my sister, my cousins, my mother, my aunt. Oh my god! Every woman in the family for sixty years. Holy shit! He was also my hero and my idol, and I looked up to him until I discovered this at 31, and then, wow, nightmares made sense. Yeah. Everything made sense. Yeah. I don't know if this is like related or like, I don't know how to like, but if you didn't know that until you were. Oh, I knew it. I blocked it out. Oh, I see. I was witness to my sister's molestation around the seven, eight years old. I see. Uh, I, I started having nightmares mid twenties as things started to come back, but I'd kept it pushed back and the family had just kind of brushed it under the rug. They'd let the church do justice. Your family's LDS. Uh-huh. Yeah, mine too. Church justice. And church yeah. justice was, oh, well, Brother Starkey pays his tithing. Right. It's not the same. I mean, there's no sexual abuse in my family, but um, a lot of emotional abuse and mm-hmm. mental abuse. And I feel, I always feel that like, you know, I think Mormonism is tricky. Like I understand that some people have different experiences with it. And I, I certainly have had guests who I think like, um, approach their Mormonism in like a non-toxic way. But in my family, it also was like a, um, an excuse, like mm-hmm. or it, it, it kind of made up for like all of the bad things. Oh, I remember all the time wanting to play with somebody and hearing the, well, are they good LDS? Yeah. Good yeah. LDS. Right. That was the words too. Yeah, no, I know. And it's good LDS, bad LDS. Well, if anybody's good at LDS, maybe they would, you know, tell us from the beginning the actual founding of the church. Yeah, right. No, I know. Mm-hmm. So but, this is this is maybe like a bit of a leading question, but do you feel like the the types of books you are drawn to, the types of like colors, like media, do you feel like those things? Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Me All too, especially fantasy. as a child. But you can tell I'm leaning to like the mermaid fairy side of things mm-hmm. and not the like you know, yes. vampire side of things. <laughs> My earliest books I read, uh, Tolkien was one of the earliest. Yeah. So my, our oldest brother was huge into fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons and everything else. And that mm. trickled right down to us. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading Robert Jordan in probably fourth or fifth grade, uh, for the eye of the world. Yeah. I'm I remember familiar with that book. Uh, they just launched an Amazon oh, cool. TV series. My question was going to be, um, do you feel like the being drawn to these mediums, like, was there like a creativity in that? Like, again, it's totally a leading question, but I'm, and I'm, I'm projecting, I think a little bit, but do you feel like it was like you were looking for something different? Like a, like, was it like a kind of problem solving at some point of like, I'm looking for something that speaks to me in a way that these things that are being presented by my family, like are not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, the opposite. I mean, back in the 80s, the um, LDS members, there was this huge thing for years about Dungeons and Dragons was no, like I, Satanism. Yeah, it was yeah. satanic. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. So Rolling I, dice I think and I, pretending that we're wizards is satanic. Totally. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't ever go like a goth route, although a lot of my, a lot of the people that I felt most comfortable around in like junior high and high school were like the goth kids. Um, I think there's definitely like 
something in there that like is related, but like, again, I'm such a pinky. So like, I don't know. Uh, I blame Anne Rice. <laughs> I don't know who that is either. Interview with a vampire. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. I know that. I've, I've seen some of the movie. Um, what was I going to say? Mm, oh, I feel like I also like, you know, had trauma in my childhood and didn't quite understand it, didn't quite know what to do, but I knew I wanted something different. And so I, from a really early age, was looking toward different kinds of adults than the adults that I saw in my family and in my faith community and like taking some little cues and like just very slowly kind of carving out a path that was going to be different. And I, I think I'm curious if you felt that way or something similar to it. Oh, I don't remember the moment that I realized I didn't want to be like everybody around me. Yeah. Well, there was definitely there. It was probably, you know, some of the playground teasing and bullying in elementary to junior high to when I moved to boy from Boise down to Utah. Yeah. It was a little traumatic. Everybody was an asshole. I know. Yeah. I think that's just my husband getting home. Um, Bears barking. I don't know if the listener will be able to hear it, but Andrew can hear it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that's what I was trying to ask before when I was wondering, like, you know, if you felt different, like, at school. Like, did you feel like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me? Or, like, no, I want to be different. And I know it's, Mm -hmm. like, not really black or white, but it sounds like, like, I think A combination of both, absolutely. Yeah, I certainly, Mm -hmm. I certainly understand I remember, well, everybody, oh, you're so weird and different. Well, fuck off. Yeah, and kind of, like, deep down being like, I think I might be, like more interesting or you know you guys are boring (laughs) yeah i totally relate to that yeah like that rich inner world like is just so satisfying at least that's how it felt to me Mm -hmm. that it's like well why would i want to you know why would i want to not be like this but also you know of course like we all need belonging so um i was asking before about your medium so did you want to say anything else about woodworking well woodworking was my first media that i ever really uh, well, other, on. you know, other than the stuff that when my brother and I were children, we were always creatively building things. Yeah, yeah. Any tool we could get on our hands on, hardware, whatever, we'd make something out of it. Yeah. We loved Legos, constructs, all the all the neat little assemble things. Lincoln logs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whatever we could make something out of, we cool. were making something out of. That's medium number one, then the woodworking. Um, mm-hmm. did, did you feel like you... I don't know. Is there anything you want to say about woodworking and it's like effect on your early creative development? I just always love the way that, uh, something turned on the lathe or the smell of the wood shop, yeah. the way you, you know, my husband does some woodworking and I love going out in the garage after he's been woodworking. It, it smells so good. Or even just like walking around in like Lowe's. I always feel like it's like mm-hmm. soothing in there. It's like smells, yeah. smells for like the wood. most part. Yeah, most woods, yes. There's a few, though, I won't believe. I haven't, pers- I haven't uh, met any stinky woods, so. There's a few that if you smell them, some of the zebra woods and lace woods are yeah. irritants. You can't oh, breathe the dust. Like the oil or something. Well, um, something about it, the dust. Yeah. So, okay, so I wanted to ask, did, like, fantasy feel like a medium to you? I mean, I understand you're not, like, writing, but did it, did it feel kind of like this is a method of expression, like, collecting runes or like did did that oh, uh, feel like a medium yes our my oldest brother was in some pro, he in high school and everything he was very much into some of the larping sure. and had his beautiful cloak he'd had made yeah. and uh we just all followed suit yeah and thought that was the coolest thing ever how, how much of it was about like beauty for you versus like narrative 
everything for me is about beauty. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, tell me more. Uh, well, as a youth, I was always a little effeminate and it was everybody, oh, oh why are you so weird? We mimic naturally what we find beautiful, right. Right. what we appreciate we incorporate some of that into our own beings. Yeah. I like grace. I like beauty. I like poise. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was asking before about like product versus like, you know, this kind of input or like the creativity that's happening inside, um, you were, you were seeing the world through, a, a lens of beauty, like looking for things that mm -hmm. you found moving and then finding ways to like incorporate those things more completely in, in your life? No, I just like something to create like something that. and make something of beauty, something exquisite. Yeah. I like anything that I can make. And I like to take something and do it in a completely different way than anyone else does. Yeah. And that was something that was true from really early on. You wanted mm -hmm. to be unique, beautiful, and 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 try something different. Yeah. I, I'll, I've never been one that can root just reinvent the, or not reinvent the wheel, but that can copy somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. I don't use patterns. The majority of my work, I create everything from the pattern. Wow. Cool. To the techniques myself. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's like, I, I really love like thinking about process over product. Like product is important, but like the process is how we got there. You know, mm -hmm. I'm really interested in that. Can you talk to me more about like, so uh, w when I, when before I was asking about, I forget what we were talking about, but you said like, are you, you asked if I was going to ask about trauma? The thing that I was going to ask about is I think my like assumption would be that someone who does what you do now. And I still don't know that much about it. We'll get there. But that someone who does what you do now is like a highly empathic person, uh, non-judgmental. So, um, I am curious about that. It's like one of the things that I was in interested in you about when I first, I've been like watching your work on Facebook mm -hmm. for like a year. So, um, it's something that I just assume like a person who works in this kind of a space understands something valuable about people. I think that's my assumption. Um, and with that in mind, I'd love to hear you talk about like the goth kids that those early like kink experiences, do you have, do you feel like there's anything you'd want the kind of broader public to know about like how to understand, you know, um, this group. Well, oh, absolutely. The first thing I think people need to understand about kink is that it is absolutely not at all what you think it is. Sure. Tell me more. Uh, people have this image in their mind that everyone's just sitting around hurting each other and, oh, this is so like an orgasmic hurt from any kind of pain that happens. It's not. Yeah. First off, my masochism is directly tied to my exhibitionism. Okay. For instance, wanting to get hurt for the sake of getting hurt? No, forget about it. Now, wanting to get hurt for the right audience? There's nothing you couldn't do to me that I'm not going to have a smile on my face through. That's so interesting. The mind over body, for me, that's part of my kink. Part of my, my biggest kink, however, is trust. Yeah. Putting my trust in somebody that deserves it. Yeah. That is hot. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know much about kink, but that is like the one thing that I have gathered Mm -hmm. that like, it's, it's a community that like takes consent, like very seriously takes trust very seriously. I haven't heard anybody ever say that it's like that, that there's a, uh, I mean, maybe performance is the wrong word, but I mean, do you think performance is the wrong word? Like a, a no, satisfaction in like a, a performance aspect? There is absolutely satisfaction for performing, for being able to be seen, be seen. T- doing something that other people couldn't yeah, do. That's so interesting. It's empowering. Does that feel... Um, I mean, I'm a performer, like I'm a musician, mm-hmm. right? I'm on stage a lot. So I definitely understand that. Um, does does the Does the like performance aspect feel creative too oh yeah absolutely it's wow it's acting in a sense in yeah. essence it's a method acting but yes and it's not just acting you're you are taking something processing it and letting it go yeah in ways and it is wait there was a woman elaborate please yeah, yeah. There's a woman named Deborah Addington who's a, in the kink community in San Francisco, been for many, many years. And she had a quote that I always loved is, BDSM is not therapy, but it can be very therapeutic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because of these trust things and like being mm-hmm. seen. And yeah, I mean, gosh, the nature of, uh, you know, sense. being beaten by somebody. Well, you know what? That you can end up with a really good cry. Let it go of a lot of cathartic. pain. Oh, it's very yeah. cathartic. That makes perfect sense i mean i think i think it it has to be the kind of thing that like those things are linked or they're not Mm -hmm. but like conceptually i think that like that makes a lot of sense now the other one that people don't realize is that what we're doing in kink typically bdsm we are using pain and other methods of control manipulate the body to release all the happy chemicals that any drug addiction would get going sure Using a bullwhip, we can release all the neuroepinephrine, endorphins, dopamines, all of that at yeah. once. Yeah. And you're higher than you've ever been in your life off of sure. nothing but a crack of a whip. And yeah. people go, oh. It's, yeah, chemically, like really similar. We are finding different ways to release the chemicals in our bodies mm-hmm. that just are not the standard means. That's creative too. <laughs> some people jump out of airplanes. Some of us, well, some of us do that too, but. Yeah. Well, and some of us like stand on stage and mm-hmm. like sing in front of people, which is also like incredibly vulnerable and a different kind of like a weird high as well. Yeah, it's a rush. Yeah. I talk about this with my guests all the time, especially performers that like performing and being like learning the skill of performance is it's a lot of things. But one of the things it is, is like hacking your biochemistry. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I think about that all the time. Oh, wonderful analogy there. Yeah. You can go ahead. Biohackers. Yeah. Uh, wait, I don't know what that is. Biohackers are people that are trying to find ways to incorporate technology and hack our bodies, whether it's using, uh, nootropics okay which are basically supplements that can cause the same effect as medications okay okay yeah but they're looking for different ways to hack the human body yeah there's people called grinders out there that have implants inserted in i know a gentleman who has neodymium magnets implanted by the main nerve in each fingertip interesting they vibrate if he comes near an electromagnetic field wow he's given himself an extra sense. Uh, yeah, he's an X-Man. He can walk up and he can feel an elect- the tangible wow. electromagnetic field. Yeah, yeah. He's also yeah. implanted magnets in front of his eardrum. Hmm. 
And what if he puts an induction loop around his neck? He can broadcast and it induces like a speaker in his ear. Wow, interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, there's biohacking is its own thing. And we are all trying to do the exact same thing, which is get a feeling out of yeah. the human body through whatever different means. That's a really interesting perspective. I'll, I'll definitely need to think about that more. But yeah, I mean, I, I've i never thought about this, but I, I do think about performance and the way in which like performance and like competition are like, you know, I'm not competitive. I've never been into sports. I like couldn't care any less. But you're still pushing yourself. Right. It's like it's a... You're not pushing yourself against somebody else, but you're pushing yourself against your uncomfortability against what you did last time to be better. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to compete well, and, and, with someone to be competitive. Sure. Well, I also think I might just not be competitive, but I am like getting, you know, I'm, I'm affecting my biochemistry with art where some people are affecting their biochemistry with sports, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, how old are you? Uh, 43. Okay. Okay. I thought I'm just wondering like, how to pace the interview. Like when I'm talking to younger people, I spend like a lot of time on the teens. So, okay. When did you start? When did you start leatherworking? You were like 16? 16. Okay. Your grandma gave you that piece of leather. Mm -hmm. You were already in the goth scene. You were already experimenting with design and like costuming. Yes. Um, how like, what's the word? Like how, um, did you feel like you could just kind of give yourself to those pursuits or did you feel like, was there, were you? Um, oh, it was a necessity becoming the mother of invention. Okay. I wanted an outfit and I couldn't afford an outfit. There was no place to buy it. I think I'm just wondering if you ever felt like you needed to like hold back or like rein in any of that, or if you just felt like permission. I think oh, I'm wondering I, about I, permission. I, at that time, I mean, I didn't uh, broadcast it yeah. so much around family and such, but in high school, oh yeah, I was the kid wearing the black leather jacket, walking around off in black fingernail polish on my fingers or sure. black wow. lipstick on I mean, or something. And that's it was, tough in these this community. Well, uh, I was a horrible child. Just like horrible youth behavior problems. Uh, I think I had twenty six misdemeanors before I was sixteen. Oh my gosh. I was uh, in. Lots of trouble all the time. Well, maybe you'll have insight on this question. Like it's one of my like pet topics. I feel like I, I'm just always curious about it. I love asking my guests about it. Um, but I, I am really interested in like artistic, like ownership and permission. How do we as artists give ourselves permission to try things, to experiment? And how do we as artists like, you know, take the ownership to like improve our craft. Um, and it sounds like maybe you have like some insight into those topics. Well, first off to improve our craft, just let go of your ego. Yeah. Uh, a year I mean, ago when to, I was starting yeah, to push through with my designs as they are now, yeah. I knew I wanted to do this and I'd had a breakthrough and I looked at everything that I was doing and had done for years. And I went, why am I doing it this way? Yeah. One time in my 20s, I would have looked at it and said, no, no, it needs to be done this way and been cocky about it. You mean like following rules? I reevaluated every single step I do in my process, in my work from the, mo- from the first cut to how I finish edges. And I went through and tried to discover, am I doing it the right way, the way I discovered or taught myself, the way somebody else taught me? Yeah. And is it the best way to do it? Right. And that was just two years ago. Uh, just over so like a year and yeah, a half so ago. Yeah, still, I just went. You're still learning through. lessons about permission. Absolutely. I went back wow. in and I tried to evaluate, you know, is 
And I asked everybody I knew, you know, for the, who was leatherworking online as friends and said, why do you do this step that you do? Interesting. Yeah. And I just had to do that. I had to let go of my ego and my pride and be like, sound like I know absolutely nothing. But yeah, none of us knows anything. No, we, <laughs> none of us do. We just pretend. Uh, absolutely. Um, how old were you when you started like identifying as an artist or like an artisan or like a craftsperson? Early 20s. Okay. Um, it, what happened? Like, is there anything noteworthy in your later teens with regards to your creative development? Joined the army when I was 17 in the guard. I did. How uh, was that? I mean, I feel like that would mm-hmm. be really like you would feel really different there. And also there's like no room for self-expression. No, not at all. Yeah. Why did you do that? I took the ASVAB to get out of classes. I see. Yeah. It was you easier were... than ditching class. I went in and took the test with a couple friends. That was and... a meta creativity, well, like, a, a, like a uh, life. I don't feel like going to class at the moment. So sure. I did that. And the next thing I knew, recruiters were blowing up my phone. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I thought, what else am I going to do? Uh, and then a friend was joined, signing up and said, hey, I want to go jump out of airplanes, play with guns and blow shit up. And did, I thought, that sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah. Did that time in the military teach you anything about your like creative identity? Or oh. was it like a side quest? One, I do not like not being able to express myself. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that seems like a bad choice for you to be in the military. But it taught me some skills that are absolutely useless in civilian life. Sure. But you st- but did anything, even like um soft skills, you know, like internal, like interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you like learned or developed it during that deve- time? That- I developed thick skin quickly. Mm. And you didn't have thick skin before? Um, no, I, I started to develop my thick skin when I was 13 years old and I had my face bashed in with a set of brass knuckles on the way home from a football game. Because you were like presenting in a, in a way that no. was threatening to people or yeah, why? Uh, random violence. Oh no. Uh, walking home from a Davis high football game. My, I was in eighth grade and 13 years old. My friends and I went to the game and then we're walking home out in front of a gas station. A red Bronco pulls up and three guys get out of there and walk up and hey you guys want to start some shit i had no idea what was going on i'd never been in a situation That's like so that scary. in my life and this dude's looking at my friend like he's really pissed i look at my friend look back just in time to see the crack is the fist contact to the right side of my face oh wow a 18 year old kid football player for Leighton high jeez set of brass knuckles why it shattered my nose and all oh the God. bones around my eye socket wow so how so th- when you were in the military, the thick skin like developed in a different way. Oh yes, uh, my drill sergeants all thought Full Metal Jacket was an instruction manual. Yeah, it's not. Well, it was to them. <laughs> um, sorry, I'll I'll just ask mm-hmm. again. Was there anything during that time that you feel like you've kind of like uh, taken with you in a positive way? Oh, or or was it kind of a side quest? in terms of your artistic journey? Uh, definitely side quest, but uh, I've learned a lot too that I incorporate still today. Of, yeah. I got to see the world and have my eyes open a Perspective. little bit. Perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's really valuable. I One one thing I've been thinking about recently is like what it means to be a writer. Because, you know, in this same kind of like process versus product, like, you know, a writer could be someone who writes words. A writer can be someone who tells stories, you know, like it, mm-hmm. I don't know that it necessarily has to be and I, I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which maybe all of us as artists are, are kind of writers, you know, like, um, 
We write our stories things, not always words. Sure. I have been kind of like playing around in my mind with that idea lately. And it sounds like, yeah, it's another, it's another piece of this kind of question of like, you know, what's the, what's, what's the creative input? Like how much, how much of what we're doing is really developing perspective, developing empathy, being curious about the world. And it, it sounds like maybe that time in the military was you good for you that You can teach skills. Way. You cannot teach creativity. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, but like, I'm interested in, no, you know, I believe the that there's a level that like my father is no, I do not think anybody could teach him to be creative. Sure. He can learn every skill out there. And with that, saying, he can yeah. do that, but he doesn't have the leap of logic of sure. this is how it's done. Okay, that's how I'm going to do it. My yeah. brother and I would look at this is how it's done. Okay, but that's how everybody else does it. I'm going to yeah. try it this way. Yeah, it's just a matter of like, how do we define creativity? Which, you know, I've done like, I think I've done like oh, oh, significantly over like 130 interviews now, which mm-hmm. is like, I mean, this is a lot of like different artists to have had kind of a deep conversation with. And the more of these that I do, the less I feel like I know anything because like everyone <laughs> will give me totally different answers. And that's one reason why I Welcome feel like- Welcome to adulthood. Yeah. It's one reason why I feel like creativity is like, it can just be so many different things and it's sort of the beauty of it. I feel like, yeah, that's why, that's why I want to ask people like, what does it mean to you? What does it feel like to you? Like, how do you identify? Okay. So when you get- out of the military, um, you said you had started identifying as an artist in your early 20s. How did that mm-hmm. happen? Well, uh, out of the military, I continued doing some leather work, and I didn't know what I wanted to do for a little while. I worked call centers, and I'd be on the phone stitching little bags with a needle and leathers. I'm taking reservations for rental cars. Yeah. Were you selling them? Were you no, doing uh, any rental car reservations? No, no, I mean oh. the bags. At that time, no. I was just making it for not, fun. Not doing entrepreneur mm-hmm. stuff yet. I knew I wanted to, but I was you got to figure it out skill first. set far advanced for me at that sure. time. Sure, I mean totally. Like the the times in which we're honing our, or like our hard skills, like you know that's a whole different endeavor, which sometimes doesn't feel that creative, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, learning I mean, the basics of how to make something. You know, I was never one that. Saw A to Z. I or I saw A and Z, but I had a hard time seeing B through Y. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, during your twenties, did you did your kind of the way that you thought about beauty like shift or develop in any way? Hmm. Or like maybe you can just talk about like how you think about beauty now. I try to find beauty in everything. Yeah. But I. Do you feel like beauty is like a, always a visual thing or like... No, you, absolutely yeah. not. Tell me more. Beauty can be in a sound. Yeah. I mean, I'm a musician, so obviously I think that. When I was 15, one winter night with my cousins, uh, sitting around a family Christmas party, we were all camped in the basement and I pulled a book off the uh, bookshelf and it was a collection of poems. Up until that point, I'd always been a little leery of like Poe because it was so overdone in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I opened up to The Raven and I read aloud to my cousins The Raven in its entirety. Yeah. That was a life-changing moment for me and for them. Why? Understanding the lyrical nature of poetry, that it is not something that you can just read, it's something you should experience and hear. Yeah. 
I was always a fan of Robin Williams' book, or not book, the movie, The Dead Poets Society. Yeah. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Amazing book. Yeah. Or yeah. movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, to suck all the marrow out of life. I still love that line. Yeah. Yeah. But that moment in hearing the words from Poe, in a darkened basement with my cousins, it was just profound. A little magic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it spoke to my um, little gothic heart as a young teenager. Yeah. And years later, well, I take on the name of Corvus. I was just going to ask, which like, was when did that happen? In the kink community, uh, when I entered into it hmm, 18 years ago formally. Okay. Wait, sorry, how, and you were like in your... I was mid-20s. Mid-20s, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, the man I entered in uh, and ended up in service to a man named GMA, we called him, or Grandmaster Aylet. Okay. He was kind of the, started and ran Utah's kink community. Wow. And I was in service to him and his husband uh, 24-7 for about nine months. Uh, is it, this is probably an like ignorant question, but like... Is it usually like if you're a sub, you're like always a sub? No. Okay. The best tops typically were subs at one time. We all learn in different ways. And we, dominant submission, all of these things can be as fluid as gender. Okay. Or sexuality. Okay. So you were in your mid-20s and you entered into the community more formally Mm -hmm. then? And, well, yeah, I was walked into the community blindfolded into a first class, which was negotiating, and I was negotiating being 24-7 service. Yeah. The person who led me into that class did not explain. Okay. Oh, uh, you know, looking back on it, that was a hell of a con- violation of my consent. Yeah, sounds like it. But he was also an arrogant ass. Yeah. Whose name was Andrew, and he liked, he per- petitioned my master to have me choose a different name because he couldn't stand the thought of two Andrews in the community. Yeah. So is that when you... That's when I chose the name Corvus. And I feel like I would imagine that you would, that that would feel like, um, like a, like bad to like be kind of forced to choose a new name, but you don't, you didn't feel that way about it? Well, I'd always been a little bit of a showman and I thought, you know what? Well, yeah. Sure, why not? It's and a chance to reinvent yourself. Yeah. And my business, even back then, was called Raven's Designs. Yeah, I was Corvus selling leather. Is crow. Yeah. Is, uh, Corvus is the genus. Raven's Design. Okay, wait, you had a company then? Uh huh. I had my business, when did, Raven's how, Designs. How did that begin? Uh, around t- early 20s, I'd finally started to get pretty good at leather and I wanted to sell stuff. So I was selling it. Dark Arts Festival, I sold us some fetish nights. And it was at a fetish night that the other Andrew had met me and mm. recruited me. And, oh, there's some uh, somebody uh, you could meet here. And I went in wanting to sell leather. Yeah. Was your leather working always kink-related? Mostly kink or club-related, yeah. What's the difference? Oh, goths, we wear kink gear to clubs. Okay, okay. It's, it's So it's it's less about the design and more about the like yeah, more about the or aesthetic the oh well i whatever interested me at the time okay. is what i wanted to make and i love you know seeing cor- women in corsets so i wanted to make corsets yeah that makes sense did you did you um did you ever feel like um you wanted to like hide these things or like did you have to go through a process ever where you um like like what was it like to become like more public like to start a business. Oh, well, back then, uh, I wasn't public online like I am now. 
yeah, how, please tell me Facebook how you, didn't like, exist. how did you evolve like that kind of forward facing like well, aspect? After I, after I finished my service, well, left service back then, I kind of stepped away from the community, but it's never far from mind or action either. Okay. Okay. I did end up married uh, to somebody who was quite vanilla for about a decade. Okay. And, you know, but there's always something there that's called to me. Yeah. You mean something, sorry, something there where? Oh, uh, with leather, kink, the, all okay, of this. Okay, okay, that's what I thought I mean, you it's, meant. yeah. Once it truly gets into you, it's hard to let it go because it's a so rush. You, are you saying you kind of tried to let it go for oh, a little while? Oh, I did, while? absolutely. Can you tell me more about that? Like, because, I mean, again, like, I'm interested in these lessons that are kind of broadly applicable. Like, like I said before, like, you know, the more that I do these kinds of interviews, the more that I realize like there's no, there's no, um, through line, like everybody's different, but like there are these kind of common themes of like, again, like permission, like, you know, um, like developing perspective. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Cause I feel like you've probably had to deal with this in like um, an even more overt way than some of us as artists. Um, yeah. How, how did you, can you, can you maybe describe like what it felt like to, to feel the need to go away from it? And then how you kind of realized that it wasn't going anywhere? Well, uh, it ended up being about the person that I was with. Okay. When I met my wife, I thought she was a little kinkier than actually she was. Okay. Okay. And then I thought, you know, maybe I can bring some of it out. Well, you really can't. Yeah. It some work. people, it, it just like doesn't exist within them. It's not something that will ever be appealing to them. Yeah. So that was more about her and less about you feeling mm -hmm. like you needed to like hide oh, or like I, suppress something. I, uh, she couldn't handle okay. that side of me. Yeah. So, uh, so it, but it was not about like your own sense of like, no, any shame or anything. It was completely about, uh, narcissistic control. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my first wife was severely borderline. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and had to control anything and everything around her at all times. Okay. And what age were you when that marriage ended? Oh, that was five years ago. Okay. And did, do you have a second marriage? I did. That one just wrapped up. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought I had seen you post something about mm -hmm. being divorced recently. Yeah. The second one was, a. I don't know if I could say more brutal, but, uh, neither was fun. For some reason, I just attract cluster B. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> cluster B. Yeah. You mean for the listener personality disorder, cluster, yes. cluster B. Cluster B. Yeah. I, I think I might, I think I might be one of those people too, that, that attacks. Well, we or are all we fucked up in some way or in another, way. but yeah, sure. I attract borderline histrionic mm. narcissistic. I attract yeah. those people. I think just part of who I am. Mm. Yeah. Or then like we get ourselves in patterns. I tell people too that to be honest, anyone who is a bit toppy has a few narcissistic tendencies. Sure. Yeah. That makes Most sense. Most people just don't want to ever admit to it because it's, yeah. we've demonized anybody that fits in this category rather than say, well. What do you think? I mean like, how, yeah. How do you think about it? Have you... Have you ever heard the reference to the narcissistic empath bond? And I mean, People I'm like talk aware about this. of this. Like, okay. They yeah. talk about it all the time. Yeah. It's become a very new pop culture thing. I don't believe in whatsoever that it's narcissistic empath. 
I believe that people on opposite ends of the empath psychopath scale, because it is, it's a scale that goes from severe empathy to severe no empathy. Yeah. Continue. That people on opposite sides of that scale naturally come together and bond to cover each other's backs. Yeah, it's like a codependency. Not even a codependency. It's nature. Mm. We go for somebody who covers the, the lapses in our own. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I, and a lot of time people without with lack of empathy are simply categorized narcissistic. Right. Yeah. So that we demonize them, but it's an evolutionary need because the people that have less empathy are the ones that turn to fight. Okay. They're the yeah. first responders, our doctors, our lawyers, police. There is a yeah. need in our society evolutionary yeah. for people with less empathy. Right. I think that is true. Yeah. So people with high empathy need somebody with less to help cover that spot where we are blind and vice versa. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think there's probably like nuance to be had there, but much, (laughs) but I mean the the basic theory I started to develop this last year is I'm going, why do I keep repeating the same behavior pattern where I think I'm breaking from it? Right. Yeah. What is it that I need? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm clearly getting something out of it, whether it's a rush from being around these people or... Yeah. What was your first business called again? Raven. Ravens Designs. Ravens Designs. Mm-hmm. So during in your first marriage, was that business like alive and well or was it a little no, dormant? No, it was pretty dormant. I still did leather work, but okay. uh, I remember one time I was in the garage trying to design and make sell tool pouches out of leather and I got through the entire design process from creating it to templating it, and I listed them and started selling them. But my first wife was controlling to the point where she could not handle me being away from her oh, for any length of time. Yeah, I see. It was one day she sat down all my children and had a dad doesn't love you session for four hours because dad's in the garage working on something to pay the bills. Yeah, how dare you? How many How many kids do you have? Including stepchildren, 11. Oh my gosh. Okay, wow. Um, mm, six grandkid on the way. Okay, six on the way? My number six grandkids on the way. Oh my God. Um, wow, that's crazy. Uh, okay, so your business, like after your marriage, first marriage ended, like can you talk to me about like how you kind of came more like into your own, like as an artist? Well, uh, so after the military I'd left and I do tried to figure out what I was doing. Ended up uh, catering movie sets for a few years. Okay. Uh, and then Were you through... drawn to movies because because you're an artist, or it was no, just kind of no, random? No, I, no. Uh, I had a friend who worked as a dominatrix and as escort, and asked one day. I got a call and said, "Hey, my boss needs somebody for a bachelorette party, and you, okay. I know you can dance, and you're just crazy enough that you might be willing to do it." Uh, oh, sure. Why the hell not? And then that kind of got you into the. He also owned catering businesses. Okay. Okay. And so after uh, one adventure, it was another adventure, and I ended up on a movie set in 1999 with Gary Oldman, Mary Steenburgen. Cool. I mean, all the and it was really fun and neat. Yeah, and I enjoyed it. Dance training. Uh, I was the only guy in my high school on dance company. Okay, so a little bit of dance training. That's an interest. Okay, cool. That's another medium. Yeah, it's a medium we haven't talked about yet. Cool. Can you tell me like, okay, with leatherworking, can you talk to me about like 
the things you make? Like maybe describe them for the listener, talk about like what your kind of like, um, uh, like values are as a, as an artist, um, what, like what items you make and maybe kind of what you're looking for in them. Oh, uh, I make anything and everything that I can think of. And I try to combine the media. Cool. So I make restraint cuffs. I make corsets. I make keychains. I make belts. Collars. Uh, collars. Harnesses. Mm-hmm. Harnesses. Floggers. Uh, definitely floggers. Yeah. Anything else? Paddles. Okay. But I, I try to incorporate not just leather. Yeah. But all the other media I've learned to work. Which is, tell me, give me a list. So, uh, woodworking, leatherworking, blacksmithing, blade making, resin, composites. uh, Resin. And aren't you working with like... Electronics. Pigments? Yes, I blend my own pigments and paints and dyes. Cool. At times. Well, I want to get creative with it. So I developed and made my own thermochromatic paint for leather specifically. That's so cool. Uh, like, please talk about that more. Like, I feel like the listener would be so interested in that. Like, the mixed media of it. The more media that I learn how to make work, the more I can do. Tell me what it feels like. Uh, like, are you are you like it's a rush? From your oh, absolutely, yeah. all the time. Yeah. So now the one of the my partner I'm dating now as well, who's also my dynamic in community, is a designer herself. Cool. And we get our creative energy going and people just sit there and watch. Yeah. Usually with her jaw on the floor is her and I start this snowball effect of, sir, I have an idea or here, I think this might work. And it takes off in an entirely different direction. And the creative process is so much fun. It's a rush. Yeah. That's really cool. It's its own high to create and go, Hey, I think we can come up with this. So last week, for instance, I had a friend flying in from California who, called me up and said, I need for this thing I'm teaching, it's a presentation and I'm going to be discussing about trauma and how I, not talking about my traumas and being silent about it, Yeah. Uh, how that affected me. Yeah. And so she asked me to make her a cloth or something that went over her mouth that says silence on it. Mm-hmm. I said, that's great, but I'm going to take it a step further here, yeah. dear. Yeah. And when she got to my shop, I did this. I took a piece of canvas and I wrote the words silence in red on it. And then over the top of that, I painted black thermochromatic paint in blue with letters free in blue. Cool. And when she took that piece of canvas and she wrapped it around her face, her breath warmed it up. Wow. And the letters free in the black fade away to reveal red silence underneath. And only in removing that would she be free again. Yeah, and wow. a performance art. That's so creative. With that, it was. I haven't shared pictures of it because it's hers to. Right. Yeah. Hers to do, but it was. Uh, yeah. I didn't know until you know last year that those paints even existed. Yeah, that's really beautiful, and that's beautiful. Like, I don't know. Can you talk more about like making things that mean something? Like, or do you, is, was that, is, cause that sounds like that wasn't like a one-time thing. Like just the way you told that story, it makes me think that like you're, you're thinking about like meaning in, in your art, at least some of the time. Oh, all the time. Can I, I like meaning in it, but it's, I look at anything that, uh, and I, I don't know what it is that causes me to oh, see things in a different beautiful. way than anybody yeah. else does. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
but my mind just makes an extrapolation. Wait, okay, hold on. I've I lost track of what you were saying. That's okay. You, you. I can extrapolate and jump from one thing to another in ways that other people just don't. And I think it's part of my creative process. You know, like uh, be asked to make one thing, and now it's changed entirely on the direction. Yeah. But it's. I'm trying to think of what I want to ask. So we have like, we have about another 15 minutes. Would you like to see some of the items? Let's show me after. Cause okay. like, it's just cause it's an audio medium. There's no camera. Just fine. But I want to see them. But, um, so we have about 15 minutes left. Um, let me give a little more insight into some of my creative process yeah, as well. Do. So I mentioned my brother and I always being competitive. Yeah. Uh, my older brother is a jeweler by trade. Okay, cool. His creativity is in making jewelry, uh, and he works, he and his boss, he's first jeweler for a company, uh, Badali Jewelry. Badali is the only licensed manufacturer of the One Ring for Lord of the Rings. Cool. That's awesome. So our childhood nerd nerdiness coming full circle. That's awesome. Do you work with him sometimes? Absolutely. Cool. I, His boss and he, uh, we have a working relationship where if there's anything I need, we exchange labor. We cool. pay for the materials, but we exchange labor. Cool. Because cool. they often will want something either leather or electrical done or whatever. We all have skills that we yeah. like to trade. Yeah. And if I have an idea and come up with it, I'll, hey, can you take this and incorporate this? Yeah. Yeah. So last year, my breakthrough was coming up with a wet molded, uh, how to wet mold the female form. Yeah. It With leather? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to know how to shape it without sewing and create a seamless look on a corset or a bra or whatever. Cool. And diving into that was 20 years of trial and error. And last wow. year I hit the breakthrough. Wow. And I knocked it out of the ballpark. And as I just sat there going, wow, that's when I decided I was going to push forward with the business. Okay. New business. Yeah. yeah still the same business. So I just kind of kept it dormant. Okay. And so I started pushing forward with it and I realized, well, I'm making kink stuff. I need to be open. People need to be able to see my product. Please tell me. The only way to do that is to, well, first off, I, uh, I was an epic shit poster and I kept getting banned on Facebook. So I had to create a new profile. Okay. So I went with my name Corvus that I'd had in the community many years ago. And how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Cazier. Cousier. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is that your... It's my like, actual last okay. name, yes. Cool. And nice uh, alliteration. Yes. <laughs> and a Z is always cool. <laughs> you know, it's one of the last names that even those of us who have it can't pronounce. Yeah. Cousier. Okay. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Yeah. So what was that like to kind of like come out in that way? Well, it was mind boggling. First, I added all my friends that already knew me and would just see my profile and go hit accept. Were you scared? No, not at all. Okay. I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah. And then I started adding everybody else in the goth industrial scene that I didn't know where I'd been. We'd been around each other and figured, you know, with a mutual friends, I'll hit accept. And then I branched out to EDM crowd, the burner crowd. Okay. And before I knew it, I had several thousand friends on there. Most of them who I'd never even met. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Like everybody just hits accept. Yeah. Yeah. And then they see what I make and they're like, ooh, this is neat. It is beautiful work. Well, thank you. It's really striking. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know very little about the mm-hmm. kink community and I, I wouldn't identify that way myself, but it's still just like, you know, even just, uh, you know, from, everybody, a, from a purely aesthetic standpoint, it's Everybody thinks work. they're not into kink until they learn that kink is anything other than basically missionary position. Sure. Okay. Well, like, then. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. I like having my hair pulled. Well, you're kinky. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's, so, okay. So as we're kind of wrapping up, like, I think I'd, I'd love to hear you kind of reflect on like two main topics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe I'll say first, like the podcast is called artifice cause it's a great word. And also I just have an inherent belief that creativity is misunderstood. Um, so that's, you know, a lot kind of where I'm coming from. Um, I also believe that creativity is like necessary and like deeply human and like we need it as a species. We need it to take For care of the years each other. I wasn't being creative. I felt myself dying inside every day. Yeah. We need it as individuals. And I think we also need it as a society. Like mm-hmm. we need it in order to like, you know, care, care for our human family. So with, with that kind of ethos in mind, like art being, you know, misunderstood and art being art and creativity being, you know, necessary and like virtuous even maybe, I don't know, Well, you can use whatever word you want, but like. We're talking about my creative process coming into this and being open. Yeah. I, there was an unintended consequence of wanting to sell leather. People started reaching out to me, recognizing that I was into kink. Okay. Asking for information and education. Okay, wait, hold, before you continue, mm-hmm. let me just finish this question because I think it might like um, affect like how you tell this next thing, but I can tell it's like you're on the cusp of something I'm really curious about. So I'd love to hear you in these last little bit reflect on um, things that you feel like you uniquely understand about art that you'd want my listeners to hear and things that you feel like unique, you uniquely understand about people that you'd want my listeners to hear. So people started reaching out to you and... Well, they started asking for information about community and about education. Yeah. And COVID was interesting. It drove a lot of things underground, pushed a lot of people online, a lot of people watching things online and wanting to emulate or learn. Kink being a huge one. The community absolutely exploded online. Cool. And unfortunately, the side effect was it also exploded with the predators. Okay, yeah. And so as I listened to one person after another tell me their stories of being preyed upon, of not finding anywhere safe, uh, it started with one and two, it came to dozens and then literally hundreds. Oh my God. And then? And then I decided, well, uh, it's time to get back involved with this. So in I, order, I mean, in order sub- to provide safety okay, yeah. to people who have no idea which way to turn and what is safe or not. Yeah, that's beautiful. Tell me more. So I started with uh, providing classes on consent, vetting, and safety. Wow. To try to teach people how do we keep ourselves safe in an online world when we want to meet people for something? How do we vet somebody? How do we know if that person's safe or not? Yeah. It was wonderful that I could use myself as a great demonstration on what is not safe there. Yeah. Say, you accepted a friend request having never met me. Right. Because we have common friends. Right. Say, predators can easily do that. If my intentions were were bad. Nefarious. Nefarious, yeah. yes. I could easily have gotten God knows how many models alone. Right. Instead, I listened to them talk about one after another of these models that I've used. Yeah. Of their experience and discovering predatory photographers. Right. I mean, we all know those mm-hmm. stories. Uh, tell me like, like, why are you, why are you motivated to help in this way? And is that related to your creativity? 
Oh. Like, like what does it feel that's like? That's related to, to my yeah. trauma. Okay. Yeah. That I'm very, very protective over people who don't feel accepted anywhere. God, me people too. People who have been hurt. Yeah. And I sidetracked my business quite a bit by stepping back into the community and then building my wonderland. Yeah. You that it looks amazing. You want to tell the listeners about it? So I took a half of uh, in the middle of the woods, I've got a huge chunk of property. Three acres is the crow flies. And in the middle of it now is a half acre of woods covered in UV paint and lights. Yeah. To turn. That's what I meant when I said pigment. Mm-hmm. But then you were like talking about all these other pigments. In oh, there. yes. Yeah, but your UV, your UV, UV I, pigment, right? I am too? what happens when a goth discovers color. I know. I was Go. going to say, because you're talking about black, like you like this black wood, uh-huh. you like the black leather. And then I was like, but I know you like color too. Oh, yeah. well, just over a year ago, I discovered color. <laughs> Which, and why, I went, like, why? Hey, why did it take so long? A resistant and stubbornness. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. This is stuff is like neat. Kind of Can I beat thing. someone with it? Cool. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I love I love seeing your photos of like the floggers with the yes. like rainbow fluorescent paint. It, it's so interesting to me. So my my main product model and I were so sick of product shoots and all the photography we were doing a year ago that I'm going, we need something as a break. And she says, let's do a black light shoot. And yeah. I said, ah, uh, boring. Fluorescent. All right. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> I ordered a bunch of fluorescent body paint and yeah. we spent a day painting each other for like four hours, covered each other in fluorescent body paint and latex, and then did a bunch of pictures and looked at it afterwards and go do an editing and such. Go, this is pretty freaking cool. I love this idea that like you're open to this kind of reinvention. Like this is so right in line with like my values, you know, as a creative. And yeah, I've been, I've been moved like just watching from the very outside by like this, um, it's almost like a, it almost feels like an internal collaboration between mm-hmm. like a goth thing, a rave thing, maybe like, I don't really know how well, you would describe it, but I, I think it's cool. What popped into my mind is when I decided I was going to teach classes on education, everybody wanted demonstrations. They want to come and see a demo. Well, now I'm going to be initially it was people in the swinger community, what okay. we consider unicorns. Okay. Okay that wanted some education. And when I discovered how many of them there were, I'm like, okay, I can't take them to a more public munch or event. Right. So you It'd build... be a feeding frenzy. Right, right. So I thought I'm going to teach a class here in my area and I'm going to try to figure out a way to create a demonstration that is neat enough to leave a lasting impression, yet tame enough not to set them off running. So I thought, how do we turn flogging into something that is less scary? We add color to it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, how do I create an effect that will leave a lasting impression? Do you remember watching Avatar, the movie? Yeah. Do you remember the scene where the torch is dunked? I don't. The torch is put out in the woods and everything starts glowing around him. Right, right, right. I wanted to recreate that scene specifically. Why do you think color is a a mitigating factor? Like, Color is one of those things that... It's not just color, but it's, you want to create, hit every sense you can. Okay. But color visually is something that draws us in like nothing else. Yeah. That's just sound, smell. Yeah. It's evolutionary. So I hit every single sense that I could on every person there, color being the last one. Beautiful. The class finished right when it was getting too dark to see. And then I pushed a remote and all the lights came on and they were transported into a neon wonderland. 
And then we pulled, uh, we had a demonstration where we used, I had somebody use one of these neon floggers painted with neon colors. We dipped them in washable UV paint and turned people into Jackson Pollocks. Wow. Cool. And the visual effect of it was so stunning. Everybody was entranced. Yeah. And That's beautiful. It was fun. Yeah, I I'm really fascinated. Like, I wish we could talk longer. I I I, I have a I have to go. Pretty That's soon, quite but, all right. Uh, but just in this last, and just just one last question. Like, well, I have a couple of little questions, but one last kind of open ended one. Um, yeah. I, I really like to try to like end in a space that's like vulnerable and maybe like, you know, I don't know. I just think humanity is magic and it, it, that feels like something that you understand. Is, is there any other kind of like, yeah, last, you know, insights or kind of, you know, vulnerability that you've seen that you want to just, that you want to, that you'd want to share that you'd want to talk about? Yeah. People are magic. Kink is magic. I can create a magic space, even if it's only for a moment, but that one moment can last forever. I can create a space in time that affects somebody so profoundly that they're forever changed by it. And I can create in my life space for those who have nobody else who accepts them. Yeah. I surround myself with non-binary, trans, neurodivergent, ADHD oddballs who yeah. are my family. I bring them to me, my partner and I, we attract each other, we attract them. And we give a safe space for them to express themselves now yeah. and to explore. Yeah, you're building, that's this kind of community building mm. is like a medium in and of itself as well. Absolutely. Yeah. My business could not be anywhere where it is now if it wasn't for this group of wonderful humans who've seen my vision and thrown their all behind it. Yeah, and you see them. You see, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other, yes. that's the other side of it. I, I forgot. I wanted to ask, is there anything you want to say about like creative parenting, uh, parenting creatively, or just anything about anything about being a parent and you know what that is like from your perspective? In my mind, if I give my children the means to create, yeah, uh, that's the best gift I can as a parent do. Well, and I'm sure you're, you, you're working on, I mean, you work toward making sure your children feel seen as well, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, I think about this so much. I think that's more, that's what most of us as artists and most of us as people want more than anything is to be seen, be understood, um, you know, not to be misunderstood. And I think as, as creatives, you know, and as artists, maybe the, the more, um, like fringe our work is the, the more true, um, you know, we're just, we're working on teaching people how to see us teaching pet people, how to see certain kinds of people, certain kinds of things. Um, and it's, it sounds like, and, and it feels to me like that's, I don't know, a lot of what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Seeing other people as they are seeing ourselves as we are, that's a tough one. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. I feel like I like even just, I had, I go to therapy on Thursdays and I feel like I had like a, a bit of a, like, like, Oh fuck. I am doing that. You know, like one of those today, mm -hmm. like shit. 
yeah, a little reality check. So oh, I've yeah. got some like everybody should be in therapy. Anybody who thinks that therapy wouldn't yeah. do them good. No, I, that, that, I couldn't agree more. We all and should be in therapy. I take that as a creative endeavor too. Like I'm creating my life. I only have one. Um, you know, trying to like live kind of wild and fierce, and you know what that looks like for me is like based on my unique experience and my unique perspectives and, and my, um, like what I find beautiful and you're doing the same thing. And I think, you know, anyone who's like trying to be present, I think is doing that in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And for me, uh, part of it is also about inspiring others around me to stretch their creativity. Of course. Uh, I have one person who is one of the most amazing artists I've ever seen. I handed them a laser pen that I built and a piece of leather and said, you can draw like a pencil. Yeah. An hour later, I have this amazing hand-lasered art piece. Wow. Why do you think it's important to inspire other people's creativity or encourage other people's creativity? Like, why does that matter? Because art has no rules. None at all. We can create with anything we want, however we want but if I hand somebody a media they've never thought of and I give them the tools to create and I put my belief behind that, I can watch them do amazing things. Yeah. To me, beautiful. that's all the reward I'll ever need. At the end of the day, if I never make money off of what I do, but I have art that I've created, yeah. it's worth every moment. Yeah, I really deeply agree. Amen. Okay. I ask everybody the same two questions at the end. On this day, what's your dream collaboration? You can go as big or as small. You can someone summon someone from the grave if you want. Who would you love to work with? What kind of a project can you imagine? Oh. <clears throat> Just like whatever comes to mind. It doesn't have to be like your permanent answer. Just what's your what's your dream collaboration? Well, my dream collaboration, uh Coming up in November. What is it? Oh, we don't. We do, we do we not get to know. Well, <laughs> uh, there an old friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, Cinnamon Hadley. She was the ins- her face was the inspiration for Death of the Endless in Neil Gaiman's Sandman graphic novel series. Okay. Uh, she passed away from cancer after not being able to go to the doctor because she didn't have insurance. I'm sorry. I left it too long. Last year, I was gifted some of her vinyl. So I'm handing some of that vinyl to other designers who worked with her. We are all going to create in her style fundraising show when we're going to donate everything that we make from her work or from her material to Huntsman Cancer Institute. I love that. What a perfect answer. So that that is a beautiful collaboration. I get to work with other designers who worked with and inspired Cinnamon, who is a designer who inspired me. Yeah. And we get to take, and I don't get a profit off of the death of a friend. Yeah. And I get to let more people be aware. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Finally, tell everybody where to find your work. Find me on Facebook under Corvus Cazier or Ravens Leather Designs, or just go to ravensleatherdesigns.com. Okay. Facebook and your website. Absolutely. Well, Corvus, Andrew... It's been lovely to finally meet you and talk with you. Um, Yeah, a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.